0: Welcome to Southern Clouds, I'm your host, Brandon Johnson, today is June the 11th, and today's topic is opioids, the heroin that didn't save the day, welcome. Welcome, 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 yeah, welcome. It's Southern Clouds, man, we in here, yeah, we doing it, man, I'm your host, Brandon Johnson, I'm coming to you live and direct. It's June 11th. We're on the eve of the North Korea USA Summit, man, with Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Yeah, we're getting started on that day, yeah. Man, so I guess uh, next week when we come back, we might be having some uh, talk about uh, the nuclear war that is upon us, or the nuclear war that has been averted. I don't know, but we will check into that. But today, man, today, we're going in the opioids. Yeah, the heroin that didn't save the day. <laughs> yeah, so today we're going into opioids, man. Um, just a few housekeeping rules, man. Well, not rules, but just housekeeping notes. Uh I, I just want to say I'm not. Noah nor is my podcast, The Voice of the South, man. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say this is how Southerners look at the world. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that stuff, man. Right, What I'm saying in this podcast is what I feel, what I think, what I believe. And those things that I believe and the things that I, 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 I think about and, and, and hold my opinions on, those are just me. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything about people who live in any other, other Southern states. I'm just talking about, about me here, right here in North Carolina and you know, Hey, I'm, I'm open to having people from other states come in, you know, people from, you know, Texas, Arkansas, Georgia, even Florida, you know, some people don't even consider that a Southern state. But, you know, Tennessee, uh, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in talking to those people, too, to see if their experience is parallel to mine or is it something completely totally different. You know, I, I can only imagine that culturally, that those places may be significantly different, uh, you know, different than here. You know, North Carolina kind of progressive, at least my city is. And I can I can only imagine how unprogressive, if that's a word, some of the other places may be that people are from. So I'm I'm open to that. But right now, you know, right now, episode one, man, I just want y'all to kick back, relax, man. Open your minds up, open your ears up, because we're getting into this opioid thing, man. We're going to talk about how uh, advertisement in the 90s kind of jump-started this whole opioid crisis that we're going through now. You know, 20 years later, it is like the, the, the wave. As hitters, it's on the shore. It's like a tsunami, and it just it's wiping out everything that's in its path, man. It's wiping out communities, it's wiping out neighborhoods, it's wiping out people, man. And I, even in my county here in, in North Carolina and Gifford County, man, you know, it, it's rampant here. So I could just imagine how it is in other places that don't even have the same uh, economic, you know, uh, you know, economic chances you know, or things that they could do here, educational chances that, that that we have here in Gifford County that other counties in North Carolina don't have. So I can just imagine how hard that those places are being hit. So we're going to get into how the opioids rolls. Uh, we're also going to get, about, uh, get into how, how the criminal system uh judges and identifies with this opioid crisis saying how opioid versus crack man that's we're going to get into that man how how these people demonized and had just say no campaigns and you know this is your brain on crack you know advertisement for when the crack epi- epidemic was going rampant but now doing the heroin is like we need to save these people so we want to know is it racial or has uh and since the crack epidemic was running rampant through the black community, and we just demonized these people and threw them in jail, and as the ep- op- opioid epidemic goes, we're just trying to rehab them and keep them out of jail. We just want to see if there's a racial divide, or, or has in the past, you know, you know, 30 years since the 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 crack epidemic had people smart enough on how to deal with addicts and also man at the end of this thing man i'm gonna throw a little bit of conspiracy in there to help you think help you open your mind man and maybe maybe shine a little light on why this thing is so widespread again this is southern clouds again i'm your host brandon johnson and today's topic is opioids the heroin that didn't save the day let's get ready man let's get into it right now
1: And they were right. We did a very bad job of treating pain. Uh, They began to make the argument that we could do a lot better job very cheaply because we had tools to treat pain but we were afraid to use them and these tools were narcotic painkillers. The 90s were the decade when we saw an enormous expansion in pharmaceutical sales reps. The nature of pharmaceutical marketing changed. Before it had been older guys, almost all of them guys in gray suits who really studied the the stuff and really knew the pills. Those older sales reps kind of faded away as the 90s went on and they began to hire more and more and more. And the idea was you develop a blockbuster drug, then you hire scads of new sales reps to go hawk them to doctors. We doctors were wrong in thinking that opioids can't be used long term. They can be and they should be. We began to be very demanding and to, to doctors that, that they fix us and that, that the tools to fix us were um, these narcotic painkillers doctors began to feel all these pressures uh an epidemic of pain and we're not treating pain right all these sales reps all these threats of lawsuit and then patients on top of that and it slowly then not so slowly Uh, Doctors began to change their minds and began to very, very aggressively uh, uh, prescribe these pills. The first attempts were really to to convince doctors that there was a new day dawning, that science now knew that that there was um, no real addictive risk to these pills when they were used to treat pain. There's no question that our best, strongest pain medicines are the opioids. But these are the same drugs that have a reputation for causing addiction and other terrible things. Now, in fact, the rate of addiction amongst pain patients who are treated by doctors is much less than 1%. So as the 90s progress, you begin to see uh, bizarre uh, expressions of this. You go in for a routine surgery, yet the pain for that surgery is going to last two, maybe three days you're getting 30 days worth of pills. The pills were available to kids in the house. People use them for two, three days. They don't need them after that. And and then 27 days worth of pills lingers around the house for the next uh, two or three years to be be abused. In 1991, about 76 million prescriptions were given out. By 2013, that had tripled to 207 million. Um, So uh, doctors are handing this out and we were told to do so because we wanted to treat pain. Bad job of treating pain. Uh, I think this begins in the 1980s when groups
0: of pain doctors, pain specialists in American medicine. Hey guys, so that was a clip from a YouTube video called How Marketing and Medicine Spurred the Opioid Crisis. Uh, The first voice that you hear was a PR person from Purdue Pharma who. That is a promotional video for OxyContin, uh, produced back in the early 90s, probably like 1994. The second voice you hear is Arthur Sam Quintionis. I'm pretty sure I butchered his name. He's an author. He wrote a book about the opioid crisis. And the female voice that you hear at the end is Dr. Julia Perry. She's an instructor at Yale University Medicine. So I took that clip because that clip kind of encapsulates what I was trying to push as you know, talking about how advertisement in the '90s generated this whole opioid crisis. We were in a in a state where people wasn't self-diagnosing themselves. They would go to the doctor. They would say, "I got a headache. I'm feeling down. My arm hurts. Whatever." You know, and those things, you know, doctors would go in there. They would diagnose, and those things would be handled according to instructions that's in the medicine book. But in the '90s. And I'm going to throw this out there, in the 90s, and I think Bill Clinton had his hand in it, that big pharma, like Purdue Pharmaceuticals, were able to get into that by giving campaign donations. And they say, well, if I give you a little bit of money here, Billy, won't you let us run some advertisement on your TV? And when you run advertisement with anything, it's going to start have people thinking that those symptoms that they are saying on those, on that screen are the symptoms that they need and things that they need like, oh, I have this this broken bone. I'm in pain. These these pills that they gave me are not working. I need something stronger. I need that OxyContin. And they were telling people this is nothing. You're not going to get addicted. It was all misinformation. And I have to say, it had to be some, you know, I guess, some ignorance, on the part of the people who put it together because they probably didn't understand the effects that it would have at that time you know let's just let's take american history for a change let's go back to the early you know 19th century when they was out there pushing cocaine as uh (laughs) As a as a tooth soothing medicine for your kids, or take this this meth this you know this this heroin so you could get some sleep at night, you know. And this was advertising in big beautiful banners and colors and pushed all through newspapers and even into the time of the radio until they thought, well, maybe these things are dangerous. But in the '90s, you know, we kind of. We we're filling ourselves. We were making money. And here we go. Let's have a big blockbuster medicine that comes out and that we could push on everybody and make money from it. And we'll tell them it's not addictive. We'll tell them that it, 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 it doesn't hurt. And they were wrong. So all that misinformation that they were pushing caused this, this epidemic. And, and where it went to was now millions and millions and millions of people are now on pills. You know, I remember when I was in college, that was the big thing. And I was in college in, like, the, you know, the early 2000s. Hey, man, y'all got, y'all got pills, y'all got oxys, y'all got zans, you know what I'm saying? Y'all got, y'all got any type of pills like that, you know what I'm saying? That was big money, like, you know, excuse my language, but the white boy used to have it. You know what I'm saying? they'd be like, yo, man, I got these pills, man, you know, what you need, you know? We give you two for 25 or whatever. And that's what that... That's what he was meaning in the video when he said, you know, those pills, you take them two or three days, then it's left over for two or three years getting abused because they don't go bad. They don't expire or anything like that. So these pills just linger. And between 1996 and I guess when I'm in college in like 2002, 2003, it really exploded. It really exploded. But by that time, the world and... You know, big pharma has starting to realize, oh man, we messed up. These things are highly addictive. Highly addictive. These things are so addictive that it's now starting to ruin suburban American life. Okay? I remember seeing intervention on on TV and a lot of those things wasn't crack. It wasn't it wasn't math. It was people being addicted to opioids been addicted to these pills been addicted to these things that doctors prescribed them because they were also misinformed on the 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 the, the outcome and how tragic and addictive these pills could be and i mean they didn't you can we can't fault them because they didn't know you know they got the same information from the producers and the makers of it as anybody else did in america so we are here pushing this thing because everybody's making money. People are feeling good. Things are going well. People are not complaining about, you know, oh, I still got pain with this. I need more. They were just, they already had more. And, and, but, but by the time they realized that the things were addictive, it was already out of control. So what happened was, was that now they're like, oh man, we messed up. Things are now out of control. We need to start reigning it back in. First comes the amphetamine, the amphetamine block, where you couldn't even get like Sudafed no more over the counter. Started with that. And then they start chopping off all these things to try to ring this 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 opioid thing through the pills and even hitting doctors. Like you only can describe them this. You need to show your ID if you get a narcotics. It's schedule one, schedule two, all these different, these terminologies and different implications of we know how to try to regulate this crisis because now it has been, become such a big deal. So many people are addictive. Now we need to try to rear the lid. But what happened, when that happened, once the pills on the street dried up, people are still addicted. They're not rehabbing these people. They're just taking the pills away from them. People on the street still addicted. And then what happens? They found, this, they, they found a fix. That fix was heroin. Now, you got a million people out here who were on pills, you know, going to their doctor, getting prescriptions. Now they're out here in the city looking looking for this stuff. On the streets, putting themselves in danger, illegally getting these drugs to try to, to, try to <clears throat> curb the, the, the addiction that they have that the doctors put on them. So now you have people out here that's living in dangerous situations, not able to take care of themselves out here and now this whole epidemic is widespread which is now destroying lives families communities and people but if it wasn't for those early 1990s commercials where these people were telling hey man if you got an ache or pain you got a headache you take this pill you can take as many as you want until you start feeling better and this, is how, and this is not going to have you be addicted. It's a slight chance, but the chance is less than 1%, which was a false lie. And 20 years later, we see the results. We see the results of what they sold in the 90s. Now, we're seeing the harvest. And it's hundreds and thousands of people addicted to heroin. Fentanyl, all those type of drugs like that. Michael Jackson, fentanyl, dead. Prince, fentanyl, dead. You know what I'm saying? Kanye, opioids, went to rehab a couple of times. Meek Mill, opioids, went to went to rehab a couple of times. Anthony Bourdain, I don't know if he was on opioids, but he had issues, dead. I don't know what to do about this crisis. I don't know how these 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 things you know work work out or how they don't work out, but it it has to be something that we can do to get this thing popping. And even in my hometown, even in my home state, of North Carolina, it's a lot of this a lot of this heroin epidemic going on in my state. You know, just to give you a little bit of info on that, <clears throat> in my state. You know, I'm, a, I'm reading from uh, nchealthnews.org. In my state, between 1999 and 2016, 12,000 people have died from the opioid crisis. In my county, along Gifford County, you know, it has a small uh, little, like, offshoot town, I would guess it would be called, called High Point. Uh, excuse the pun. <laughs> but in uh, 2016, they had over 301 overdose calls, 301 overdose calls, and to hit those, hit those rural and jobless counties, man, the things, you know, things get hit hard over there. And as and then the, with an the update, and as of March 8, 2018, there were over 100 deaths, 700 overdoses reversed before they died, and in February alone, there was over 175 overdoses, overdoses and 12 deaths, and that's in just a small town, little town in my county. It's not even the big city. I'm the big city. That's just a little like suburb offshoot that has probably I don't know, 2,000, 5,000 people, and you, you're already you're already getting 700 overdose overdoses reversed before death, and and then you have you have a hundred people that die. For for a while there, we had a we had a string of deaths due to to the opioid crisis here in my county, and is and it's really heart wrenching. And you know, I I feel bad for these people, but I also have some some animosity towards these opioid addicts because they get the opportunity to change their lives when in the early In the late 80s, early 90s, crack addicts had to go to jail. And we'll get into that when we get back. All right, guys, we're back. And we're going to start this off with uh, some uh, article I ran across on on the Internet uh, from Addicts Helpline, um, addictshelpline.com. It's called Opioids versus Crack Addiction, a Racial Double Standard. And it has a question mark at the end of that. And I'm, I'm going to read some of it to you and just, you know, give you a little uh, pretext into what I'm about to go into now about how crack addicts were kind of like, mm, looked at down and these uh, opioid addicts kind of kind of look sympathetically at yeah. All right. So let's get into it, man. Opioid versus crack addiction, a racial double standard. Um, it was wrote. Uh, they don't have a date on here. So, uh, but again, it came from addictshelpline.com. Okay, it's been years in the making, but finally lawmakers and government agencies are jumping into the slow progress of the op- opioid epidemic, a crisis that kills more than two, 28,000 persons in the U.S. each year and has overtaken car crashes as the leading cause of accidental deaths it all started with a mass marketing and prescribing of pain drugs like oxycontin but at the time the power that be showed little concern for sufferers when crack cocaine was affecting persons in a similar manner in the 80s and early 90s while we cradled those who unwittingly got addicted to prescription drugs our solution for crack addicts mostly consisted of locking them up as, as long as possible and truthfully, I believe we are starting to do the right thing by heroin and opioid addicts, but are we really lifting the stigma of addiction or is it just a race issue? Are we becoming more sympathetic or are we just showing our true feelings for society about which lives matter? Take for instance the Project Advocates for Opioid Recoveries, a joint political effort drummed up by Newt Gingrich and Patrick Kennedy regarding the plight of opioid addicts. Greenock sounded pretty darn sympathetic. There, there's a myth that every everybody can just wheel themselves off it. Imagine if we said you we shouldn't give people insulin they ought to will themselves to correct diets and exercise and giving them insulin makes them weak. Uh, this is Brandon jumping in in this uh, right right quick. That was a quote from Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich just said that quote. Okay, this is now we're getting back to the authors, uh, what he said about it. And he's not, he's not really wrong. It was just vastly different perspective than what we've seen from lawmakers and law enforcement in the past. Also, an excerpt from the Time article put forth Gingrich, Kennedy, and Van Jones reads, Studies show that opioid addiction is a chronic brain disease to which some people are genetically disproposed. Again, Brandon jumping in here, that was Van Jones and Newt Gingrich and Patrick Kennedy's quote from their uh, organization. Back to, the, back to the article. I guess that's not really been the case for crack addicts. In fact, Gingrich called once called these addicts to uh, exert more self-control. Compare that to the statement above. Back then, Gingrich, along with other p- Politicians actively advocated for more arrests and stiffer sentences. These tactics increased the racial divide and gave people something to fear, because that's what politicians do. Okay, and so that was that was just like the first part of it, just giving you a little background on how some of these politicians look at the crack epidemic and the opioid epidemic totally different. They're not handing out sentences. I haven't heard about no opioid. Uh, people out here getting 20 years for having opioids on them, having heroin on them. I'm not hearing that in these things. I'm hearing we need to rehab these people. We They come and bring them back to left. They have invented devices that can bring these people back from overdoses, you know, and they didn't have that during the crack time. People were getting murdered. People were getting killed. And people just left in the street dead from this crack. And they, they weren't trying to rehab nobody. They were just throwing them in the jail. But, okay, so we're going to get back to it. Second part of the article that says the war on crack addiction. Presidential, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton has devised a ten billion plan ten billion dollar plan to fight opioid addicts and prevent overdoses. This plan includes components largely geared towards prevention, treatment, and recovery. Conversely, in nineteen eighty nine, drug Caesar William Bennett announced a seven point nine billion plan to combat the current drug epidemic, but seventy percent of that would be spent on hiring more law enforcement uh personnel and building prisons. A little side note that he put in there because that's what America needs. The answer to the prison overpopulation is build more prisons. Right? And I have to agree with that. That's pretty that's pretty uh pretty dumb like let's build more prisons because we have overpopulated prisons now so let's just keep building more we, we're not going to try to you know help people not go to jail no 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 we're just going to keep peeing people in jail putting people in jail and we're going to build more jail to keep putting them in there but back to the article <laughs> then a bill passed in 1994 that added more fuel to the fire sentences for crack possession and dealing were increased and in, and in a few years, enhanced law enforcement presence loomed over, and, loomed over and aggressively policed black communities. And then in 1995, the Defense Department began donating military equipment to the police departments. Donation included armored carriers, rocket launchers, laser scopes, and more. By 1997, they had given law enforcement over a over million dollars worth of equipment. So I answer the drug addiction was this intimidate brutalize, and arrest. Compare that to now as has begun to give the, our addicts uh, ha- harm reducing and abuse deterring drugs. I can't even imagine what happened for crack ed- crack addiction So you know he's just going on and saying like you know when when crack was around we had a we had more police out there policing. Policing the 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 streets, they was out there, you know, taking people down, busting up crack houses, busting down doors, and now here, you know, we're telling them, hey guys, it's not your fault. You have a brain disease. You could come and live. You need, you know, we will rehab you. You got you got an opportunity to live. We're gonna get you off these drugs. It is our fault. And I and I and I, I listen. I get it. I get it. Guilty conscience guilty conscience from people who knew that this stuff was messed up and they still gave it to all of these people. But the whole thing of it is that it went, it went awry. But now, the whole thing of it is, is like, what do we do with these addicts? Do we just get, put them off? Can we afford that as a country? Can we afford that the taxpayers pay for these people to go to rehab and then come back out and still be on these opioids because in jail they're not, they're not gone? They're not gone in there. They just they they they're, they're there. They're there. So 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 we're not gonna put them in jail. So we're gonna try to rehab them. And we know that a lot of rehabs fail. Some take, some work, but a lot of them fail. A lot of people relapse. So now we're trusting, we're trusting that this this new look this tolerance look that this this, this 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 everybody has a chance to live look everybody should get the right to live look that we have in this generation this time this moment now 2018 this is the this is the season that we live in where everything is kosher everybody lives matter but yet on the reverse side crack you get thrown in jail if I had some crack right now I would get thrown in jail no rehab no nothing I'm going to jail and and depending on how much crack I had I might be gone for a very very long time And and I have to say is that because crack is more prominent in the black community and heroin and those opioids are more prominent in the white community I don't know and I don't want to push that envelope but sometimes to me it seems like that is the issue. And it is not the drug, it is the people who are using the drug more frequently. You know, you 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 you, you, you always had a plan to, you know, divide the black home so why not give these people a drug something they don't never know something that's very totally addictive like crack and start breaking the family but what happened with the opioids was they they went they went totally left everybody on the other side of the spectrum start start getting high on those things and it's really widespread and really not localized and it is out of control and so I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if 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 these people have wised up and said, listen, we need to treat addicts better. They don't you know, it is a disease. They cannot control themselves. They have issues. And, you know, we need to just, you know, you know, help them better. I don't know if that's the issue. Because, like I said, if I had if I had crack right now, I don't think i get those same options. So I, I, I what I what I wanna know, and maybe y'all can help get comments on what your perspective is, is why does it seem like it is it is racially divided because of the people who use it the most. All right? So I just wanna put this last little spin on it, man. Crack destroyed the black community. I feel like it was put in there by some people that, you know, knew what they were doing, trying to trying to destroy the black family, trying to get this this world under control through drugs and manipulation and, you know, economics and stuff like that. So these people put these drugs in here to try to wipe us out, a community out, black community out specifically. They try to do this with the opioids as well, once they seen how many people were addicted, but it didn't go that way. And I say that's cause of Obama. But we're going to get into the conspiracy side of all this coming up right after this. Y'all stay tuned. It is Southern Clouds. We're breaking it all the way down, man. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. Welcome back. So this segment right here is my little uh, commentary, uh, conspiracy theory twist on the whole crisis. I'm going to speak on 9-11 I am a believer that 9-11 was an inside U.S. job. I am sorry to anybody that is offended by that. I do not mean to isolate anyone by that, but I do have my own opinions and views on that and how it ties into the opioid crisis. I thank anybody that has listened. If that is something that you're not into, something that's going to Make you feel some type of way. You could, uh, You are more than welcome to end, your podcast, end the podcast now. Thank you again for listening. And next week, we may have something that you can listen to all the way through and something that resonates with you. If anybody lost anyone during 9-11, I do apologize for your loss. You know, I'm sorry that this has happened to your family and you have to deal with those things. But again, this is my podcast. and I'm not trying to be brash, but it is my podcast. These are my views, and I did this to put my views out there. Alright, so here we go. We're going there with the opioid 9 11 all the way up until now, uh, conspiracy theory that I have cultivated in my own brain of how it all went down. Okay, 9 11 happens. Boom, the planes hit the building, supposedly. Now, we go down. Oh, the terrorists, we need to go to the Middle East. Now, everyone assumed that the Middle East is all about oil I have to have to be I have to say no I'm not I'm not with it we have we have you know fracking we have all those things we have the pipelines right from Alaska we have oil production here in America so all oil, oil is is good you know we could we could ship it we could we could get it but if we have already over here making our we got we got those things down there in the Gulf Coast BP and all that we, we, we're pumping our own oil out. You know what I'm saying? Pretty much, you know, maybe need a little imported in to uh, you know, help. But we, we, we I I'm thinking we kinda itself, of you know, sustain. So with that being said, we all thought this war in Iraq was about oil, but in my opinion, I feel like the whole war in Iraq was about the opioid fields. Yes, poppy fields. Fields upon fields of poppy plants. That you do grind down, dry out, and then make it to opioids like icy cotton and other type of uh, narcotics. They use that type of uh, use that type of flour. So they did all of this, guys. They 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 ran the planes into the building. They started a war not for oil but for freaking poppy. Fields with poppy flowers in them so they can continue to push this heroin and these opioids out as fast as they can. So we're just going to go over here and take over their land. We're already making our own weed because that's what they started in Washington and the California and stuff. in this recreational weed so they can start making their own weed. So they say we're making our own weed. Now we need to make our own mainstream drug. This, by doing this, what they do now is eliminate competition. Okay? We don't need you to... We don't need to import your drugs in anymore, Mexico. So we're going to demonize you. We're going to start bringing up cartels, saying like, you're dangerous. You're crazy. And so what we're going to do now is cut you out of this American drug pie party that we was having and put a big-ass wall right there so you can't even come across. That is how... This, this opioid crisis has gotten started. It was the, the opioid was shipped in through veterans. Yes, veterans and their corpses. Okay, that that is that has been reported. All right, so they get them here just like that, and they get somebody big to go out here and start selling them, putting them out on the streets, getting hand put on the streets, and you can have all the Afghans out in there, you know, making the stuff for you under 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 supervision. Saying, oh, we're just holding them in the name of national security. They are terrorists. We're just holding them here. Not showing that they're working. Making for the for the government. Now, I could be completely wrong. I probably am completely wrong. But this is my podcast. This is my commentary. I hope it made you think. Everybody, this has been Southern Clouds. I'm your host, Brandon Johnson. June 11th, when I get back, we don't know if we're in nuclear war with North Korea or not. But if we are not, get your ears ready for another episode of Southern Clouds. We are out of here. Everybody have a good week. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Brandon Johnson. Everybody have a good one. Bye-bye.